This is the First Bet Racing Show on HRRN. Irad Ortiz Jr. and Life's an Audible within eight lengths of the lead. Dancing and Dixie in time to dazzle at the back as they run to the top of the stretch. San Pentaleo still has the lead. Wakasu on the outside. Ozara gets through with the rail. Omaha Girl looks for racing room and Madame Mischief. They come past the eighth pole. Ozara has the lead. Wakasu is second, but Ozara tripped out. Ozara has the lead and Ozara has the win. The Ginger Brew to Ozara. Up to the outside, it's a photo for second between Life's and Audible and Wakasu. Madame Mischief is fourth in 133 and four. Now, here's Bobby Newman and Bob Nastanovich. Good afternoon. Welcome to another edition of the First Bet Racing Show here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. I'm Bobby Newman along with Bob Nastanovich. We've got live action today from Gulfstream Park, Aqueduct, and Fairgrounds. Bob, that, of course, was the call of Pete Aiello, one of three stakes that they had last Saturday at Gulfstream. The Ginger Brew won impressively by Ozara. Yes, she was impressive, and she's getting better. She won the first race in the series down there, the wait a while in early December in impressive fashion. And like a good Chris Clement trainee, she's improving uh, steadily with each start, he must have had a very high opinion of her when she was two. I mean, he ran her in the Natalma, grade one, in her second start after she broke her maiden at Saratoga. Her dam is a half to the great golden horn. So all the credentials are there for this uh, Lope de Vega filly. Uh, definitely a uh, exciting three-year-old turf filly to watch in South Florida and elsewhere. Folks, download the First Bet app on your iPhone or visit first.com forward slash bet to sign up and play the races. Sign up with the promo code BETHRRN. That's no spaces. B E T H R R N. You'll get $10 free bet plus a 100% deposit match up to $150 on your first deposit within the first 14 days of signing up. Well, we'll talk a little bit more about some of those stakes that happened at Gulfstream Park as well as some of the other big stakes around the country. Uh, Our first live race today, Bob, comes from Gulfstream Park. They've got one more on their nine-race card today. Not the nicest of weather here in South Florida today. Kind of on and off rain all all the day. Uh, Right now, uh, cloudy skies over Gulfstream Park, but more more showers on the way. It's 70 degrees, not cold, uh, but they've been (laughs) uh, off the turf all day, and uh, this ninth race, which was scheduled to go at a mile and an eighth on the turf, has been moved over to the synthetic track. Scratch numbers two and three, still a field of eight going in this race. Uh, Current favorite on the board is number nine, Mohegan, for the team of Brendan Walsh and Tyler Gaff-Leone. Eight to one on the morning line for the turf, but with the move over to the synthetic track, Mohegan now is your 8-5 to five favorite. According to the first bet AI, uh, with the switch to the turf, number 5, fly right, is where they suggest you be. Now, I, I always wonder about these things, Bob, and I don't know the exact answer to it. Fly right has raced six times thus far in his career, five tries on the turf, and then most recently, and it wasn't all that recent, end of July, a race that was supposed to be on the turf, but moved over to the main track at Saratoga. So I'm wondering a little bit how how it works out that this one, according to First Bet AI, has a 31% chance of winning, getting onto a surface that, for all we know, he's never set foot on until today. I think it's an outstanding question, Bob. <laughs> I mean, uh, 
He's kind of interesting. He moves from the barn of Leah Giarmati to uh, Fernando Abreu, who's really having a great meet down there. He's 6 for 20. I think he's about 12 for 20 in the money, so he's off to a good start. But interestingly, uh, another thing that, you know, just a stat that kind of stands out here in terms of fly rights form is his uh, high percentage trainer is 0 for 19 uh, first start in the barn. So I, I kind of took that as a negative. Uh, Andy, I thought this race was going to be a really interesting turf race. I mean, it really is a shame that this move over to the synth because uh, there's a lot of horses in here that have flashed really good form, especially on the turf in their career. A lot of really expensive horses. The one horse in here, Sergeant Peppers, you know, got kind of a legendary sales topper in a, in a way. His damn Dame Dorothy sold for $3.1 million when she was pregnant with Sergeant Pepper who then eventually went to uh, Saratoga's yearling and sold for $1.6 million. And uh, he's the one horse in here. It's uh, Pletcher and Ortiz. Gelded for the first time, son of Uncle Mo, uh, like I said, who actually does have a decent uh, synth effort on March 31st. Uh, parlayed that effort into a very good second behind a horse called Mondego, who came back in uh, one. That race was in uh, early May at Belmont on the grass. So I think he showed his versatility there. I think he kind of showed that he's improving. And uh, first time gelding with Irad staying put, I thought he was an interesting proposition in here. It shows what a tough game this is. I mean, you see a lot of success stories out there. But, uh, I mean, there, there are plenty of these stories where there are people who have a lot of money out there spending a lot of money and getting basically nothing back in return. Sergeant Pepper... I mean, you mentioned it. He, he's been gelded since his last start, which right then and there is almost an admission of guilt that this horse is not as good as we thought he was going to be um, because we're taking, you know, making the decision that uh, he's never going to be valuable as a stallion prospect. So let's just uh, get rid of that right now and hope that we can make some money with this horse down the line. Let's face it, there's nothing he's shown yet in his past performances that looks like he will at any point come close to earning back the million six that was spent on him. But, as you mentioned, he does have a few interesting lines uh, leading into this race. It's not like he's a slug. He's just a horse who doesn't look like he's going to be a millionaire uh, when he retires. But maybe today is the day with the, you know, the ultimate equipment change, if you will, and getting on uh, back onto the Gulfstream synth where he's already run uh, a pretty good race back last March. You know, he's tough. You know, I think kind of a recurring theme on the show, uh, handicapping these six races that we're going to uh, inspect and uh, watch. Uh, there are a lot of disappointing financial propositions on today's uh, cards, both here and at uh, Fairgrounds, uh, even a couple at Aqueduct to run on the uh, bottom level maiden claimer uh, that goes as the next. But uh, a horse I do like in here is the four mainline Cypher, who was never sold. He's a John Gallegos homebred, trained by Brendan Walsh, uh, who's having a really frustrating meet. A lot of seconditis there. He's one for 18. Uh, we know he's better than that in every way, shape, and form. And this is another horse that ran evenly on the uh, on the synth March 31st at Gulfstream. Uh Kind of was too ranked to do himself justice on uh, der Derby Week. Uh, maybe everybody got a little bit fired up in front of the crowd. Uh, he's a horse that I loved in this race on turf, and I think that he'll uh, transfer some decent form 
over to the synth, and he's a, he's kind of a good price. I love the tandem here, Oshin Murphy, who's been raising some eyebrows as expected on the East Coast since he, he came uh, over, and he rides for Brendan Walsh for the first time. Uh, so I think he's uh, worth a note and at a solid price. I think he's definitely the value play in here. On the worst segue of all time, and by the way, they're kind of completing their their warm-up at Gulfstream Park. They're still over on the main track. They need to make their way over onto the synthetic track and over to the starting gate for this ninth race. Uh, Bob, I, a lot of people know this. Some don't, that uh, you were and still are in a band called Pavement. In fact, you came back from a basically two, two years of touring recently and still have some uh, dates in the future with the band, but uh, a band that was very popular uh, in the 90s and 2000s. Uh, do you, by any chance, play the guitar? You know, I've, 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 I think I've spent less than a half hour total in my life playing guitar. I can't play bass or, or guitar. And really, I've never had that much in, uh, interest in stringed instruments. I kind of, I'm very fortunate in a way that I've known some very rarely, you know, rare talents on guitar since I was a kid. So, you know, why would you even get involved? But, uh, yeah, Stephen Malkmus, who plays guitar and pavement, is, is, you know, one of the best of his generation. So I'll, I'll let him handle the uh, fret work. Well, I was trying to look out <laughs> for you, my friend. I didn't know if you were aware of this, but Smashing Pumpkins is holding auditions for a new guitarist. And uh, I know what good friends you and Billy Corgan are. I've heard the stories from the past when you guys <laughs> were on tour together, and I just figured you could put a call in and probably don't even need to audition, you know, if you were capable. But it, it sounds like that would be a little out of your out of your reach. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, some of the guitar parts were rather tricky. I'd rather leave that up to uh, somebody who really wants to do it. Okay, well, I have no interest, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> so Billy Billy Corgan will not be getting the the text message then. Uh, okay, no worries. I'm sure they'll find. I'm sure there are plenty of plenty of people out there that would be more than willing to be part of Smashing Pumpkins and be their next guitarist. Uh, that's one thing on one. Assuming side it of pays the, well. Uh, yeah, certainly. I mean, I I would say that you know whoever it is wishes they probably would have found this. 35 years ago or so, but it is what it is. Uh, they're going toward the starting gate over at Gulfstream Park for the ninth and final race on the card. Once again, this race uh, scheduled on the turf, moved over to the synthetic track. The distance remains at a mile and an eighth, and the horses have arrived at the starting gate for this finale, if you will, at Gulfstream Park. By the way, if you're handicapping uh, this weekend's races at Gulfstream, uh, there's small chances of rain each day, but not nearly as bad as it was today. So I would say there's a very good chance that the main track is back up to fast at least some point, either tomorrow or Saturday, and they probably will have some turf racing this weekend as well. But uh, today it's just been kind of cruddy all day here in South Florida. Not horrible crap. I was looking at the weather proje projections for Des Moines this weekend, and on one day I think there was going to be a high of negative 8 a high of negative eight. It's 70 here in South Florida. It's and certainly not bad. It. I mean, theoretically, it's not even – if you were really a hardcore golfer, you could be out there hitting the ball around in this misting rain and little bit of showers that we have here but right now. But we're not concerned about golf today. We're concerned about the ninth and final at Gulfstream, which is a mile and an eighth on the synthetic track, scratch numbers two and three. Uh, by the way, late money coming in on – the one you mentioned, number one, Sergeant Pepper, the million six 
purchase uh, by Uncle Mo out of the Bernardini mare, Dame Dorothy. Uh, probably has something to do with the fact that Irad Ortiz rides and Todd Pletcher trains. But as you mentioned, this one does have some merit in his past performances. Don't know if two to one is the right price. We'll find out shortly. Here's Pete Aiello at Gulfstream. And runners away. From the center, Tis Eternal gets the first call and looks to establish the pace from Fly Right, who comes away in second. Big Commerce is on the outside, and he's now third. Mainline Cypher is there fourth, followed by Sergeant Pepper and Curlin's Kitten. Mohegan settles in second last. The early trailer is get ahead now. They make their way now around the clubhouse turn, and Jose Ortiz and Tis Eternal with the fractions. They lead by almost two. Fly right is second. It's a length and a half to Big Commerce, who races from third inside fourth mainline cipher. Followed fifth by Sergeant Pepper, then Curlin's Kitten. Mohegan is toward the back of the field, and the trailer is get ahead now. They complete a quarter in 24-2. and two. It's a nice, easy pace for Tis Eternal. He's there a length and a half. Fly right is second ahead of Mainline Cypher, who's racing together with Big Commerce. From behind them, it's Sergeant Pepper. Well settled at this stage for Irad Ortiz Jr. Outside in Curlin's Kitten. Then the gray Mohegan, and the trailer is get ahead now. They went to half and 48 seconds flat as they leave the backstretch and move on to the far turn. It's Tis Eternal in front by a length. Fly right is second. Mainline Cypher at the rail third for Murphy, followed fourth by Big Commerce. Then Sergeant Pepper. Mohegan being asked to quicken between horses, dropping to last is Curlin's Kitten as they run to the top of the stretch. Jose Ortiz is yet to go to work on Tis Eternal, and he still has the lead. Mainline Cypher is at the inside trying to gain good ground. Shown open racetrack is Sergeant Pepper, and they're at the top of the stretch. Now time for Tis Eternal to go to work. Off cover. Mainline Cypher down the center. Sergeant Pepper from between. It's fly right. They come past the eighth pole. It's Tis Eternal. He's still there. On the outside, Sergeant Pepper's running out of time. Tis Eternal digs. Sergeant Pepper surges. Tis Eternal. Tis Eternal wins in gate-to-wire fashion from Sergeant Pepper second. Fly right is third. Mainline Cypher finished fourth in 147-2. Unofficially 7-1-5-4 in the off-the-turf ninth and final at Gulfstream Park. Ortiz brothers run 1-2 in the finale, Bob, with Jose holding off Irad. 3-1 beats 2-1. Tis Eternal holds on for the win. Really good ride by Jose Ortiz, doling out the speed on the front end. And, uh, you know, this is a five-year-old gelding who's only raced twice. But uh, his race a little under a year ago uh, caught the eye, flashed some pretty serious speed on the turf that day. And, again, it was guesswork as to who would fire on the uh, synth. But uh, in the end, I think uh, the two best horses came to the fore and fought that one out. Don't know what the issues are with Tis Eternal, that he doesn't show up at the racetrack very often. He debuted September of 21, then came back mid-January of 23, and now, as Bob mentioned, comes back a year later and gets a job done. Great training job, I guess, by Barkley Tag and his team to get Tis Eternal to run a big race off this big layoff. Just the third start of this five-year-old Gelding's career, but he gets it done in the finale at Gulfstream today. Over at Aqueduct, speaking of finales, they're getting close to the eighth and final on the card. 44 degrees, sunny skies, and the track is fast for the finale at Aqueduct. Six furlongs the distance. These are New York-bred maiden three-year-old fillies 
uh, in for a claiming price of $25,000. Scratch numbers 4, 9, and 11. Still a big field of 11 going to post. First bet AI and the betting public both think number 12 needed is where you need to be. Slight choice of the first bet AI, but 6 to 5 on the board for this Tom Morley trainee. Yeah, the, you know, this is kind of a, a typical race for the level. Maiden claiming 25. Uh, the speed is drawn to the outside in what looks like a really weak race. Necessary and proper from the 14th hole kind of concerned me because uh, that one tends to stop pretty badly. Um, and uh, going for glory, the Donk Barn has sort of, you know, come to life since Fingal's Cave won the Bay Ridge on December 23rd. So uh, the 7 going for glory gets a look. Um, no layups, adds Lasix in here, but uh, it's hard for me to argue against Needed, and uh, no way would I bet at the price, but I think uh, Needed will be tough to reel in if she breaks. Well, it's your last chance to try to make some money at Aqueduct today, but certainly not your last chance to make money anywhere. And by the way, you don't have to play Aqueduct if you don't like this race today. There's plenty of car races on the card tomorrow as well. Here's Chris Griffin with the Aqueduct finale. And they're off. Necessary and proper broke with speed towards the far outside. There is needed in the early mix as well. And at the rail, that's no layups. Resume is now in the three path. It's going to chase these leaders. And here comes Resume after the leader needed. It's needed in front. Resume right to the outside. They get more settled. It's no layups. Just towards the inside here of necessary and proper. That's the leading four. Just behind them is Mysaria, who's going to track in fifth. To the outside of that one comes Mia Nipatina. Big gap now of six. Back to Kali Storm, who's in the black silks there, is moving forward with Lady Lawrence. Very strung out here. A lot of J's towards the tail end there with going for glory and dreamery. 22-3, and three, the opening quarter mile. And down on the inside at even money, it's needed. Needed has got a neck in front. Resume has been right there and moves up on the outside. Also ranging up down or on the outside here comes a run from no layups in between horses is trying to rally on there's necessary and proper in full pursuit and those two get a nice journey also rallying on here's my saria who is sitting off the pace there's four across the racetrack here for a final furlong from way out of it it's lady lawrence anyone's race here in the finale my saria has taken the lead necessary and proper battles on down towards the inside, Needed is trying to make a run as well. Late run here going for glory. It's going to be my Saria just hanging on. My Saria just hangs on, going for glory from way out of it. Gotten the photo. Final running time, one minute, 15 and three. Wire came up in time for my Saria in the finale. Is he done talking now? <laughs> <laughs> uh, number two, Mysaria. He's right. The wire came right at the right time. Not the fastest race we've ever seen as far as six furlongs at Aqueduct, but doesn't really matter. 115.70 is all that number two, Mysaria, had to do. Uh, nice trip coming from off the pace, swinging five wide into the drive, and then holding off a late run from going for Glory, who was, I mean, nowhere at any point it looked like, uh, I mean, I would say at some point 15 lengths back at the top of the stretch and just kicked it in. I mean, I know they didn't run very fast, Bob, but going for glory was a half a jump from getting up, being 15 back at the top of the lane. Pretty impressive rally. You know, in, uh, like I said, the donk barn is definitely in form, but uh, I'll tell you, we have a fan of the show. Tim Hills is now two for six. At Aqueduct, he has no idea, but uh, both of his winners, one was a 40-plus dollar horse, and this one's going to be a 70-plus dollar horse. 
uh, were both on this program. Uh, nice to see Katie Davis uh, coming to life as well. She, she, I think she was about 0 for 60 at one point this meet. She's now 3 for 76, and she picked up this mount from her brother. So uh, pretty cool result and uh, hard to find. I mean, the horse had been beaten 16 nine and a quarter and ten in uh, her three starts and uh, was beaten ten lengths basically at this level last time. So, uh, yeah, Tim Hills on race day live is the uh, angle. <laughs> yeah, Tim Hill. And by the way, really nice guy. Trained a lot at Calder when I was working down there. Uh, Katie Davis wins. That's uh, I'm, I'm hoping I didn't play the race because I'm not I'm not involved on those. Um, and, and it hasn't been very often. But uh, if you were on. Uh, number two, Myceria, ridden by Katie Davis today. You're going to get 36 to 1. The final odds, 2, 7, 14, and 1. The order of finish in the 8th at Aqueduct. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to head out to Fairgrounds. They're about five or six minutes away from post time for their sixth race. We'll get you paid at Gulfstream and Aqueduct. Talk a little bit about some of the big races this last weekend. This is the First Bet Racing Show on HRRN. Adopt U.S. Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting. A teenager, learning the lingo. Today I'm going to help parents translate teen slang. Now, when a teen says something is on fleek, it's exactly like saying, that's rad. It simply means that something is awesome or cool. Another one is totes. It's exactly like saying, totally, just shorter. As in, I totes love going to the mall with Becca. Another word you might hear is jelly. Jelly is a shorter, better way to say jealous. As in, Chloe, I am like so jelly of your unicorn phone case. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will think you're, um, rad just the same. To learn more, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. We have the world at our fingertips, inspiration in our touch, and power in our hands. Our hands, gentle enough to hold the next generation, yet strong enough to build movements that can change the world. Our hands can build relationships, frame ideas, and empower communities. We have the ability to share and imagine, create and comfort, love and heal the world around us. And it doesn't stop there. Right here, in our hands, we have the power to save a life. If you see a teen or adult suddenly collapse, call 911 and push hard and fast in the center of the chest. The power is in your hands. Anthem Foundation is the proud national supporter of the American Heart Association's Hands Only CPR Campaign. While serving in Afghanistan, I was shot in the head by sniper fire. The fighting was so intense, the medevac chopper was barely able to land. I was given a 5% chance to live. I'm Adam Alexander, and I'm a veteran. Today, I visit classrooms and talk with kids about dealing with life's struggles. I tell them, with a little help and a lot of work, that you can overcome any challenge. DAV helps veterans like Adam get the benefits they've earned. They help more than a million veterans every year in life-changing ways. I know that some struggles are big and some are small, but they're all struggles, and you have to learn to get through them. With support from DAV, more veterans like me can live their best life 
and as a new father, I have one more reason to keep on keeping on. My victory is being there for the next generation. Adam Alexander, may your victories inspire many more. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Hi, this is Kurt Becker. Join me each week on the Equine Forum as I take you on a stroll through racing history presented by Keeneland. This week, I look back at the racing career of four-star Dave. Listen live on the Equine Forum every Saturday morning on Sirius 162 or XM207 or visit our website at horseracingradio.net to access the archives and enjoy past editions. It's a stroll through racing history with me, Kurt Becker, presented by Keeneland, only here on HRRN. You're listening to the First Bet Racing Show on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Muth on the outside and Pilot Commander head and head turning for home. Two back to Slider in third, three sixteenths of a mile to go. Muth and Pilot Commander, friends in the morning, foes in the afternoon, and Muth is let loose now. And here comes Muth through the stretch, outclassing them in the San Vicente. It will be Muth and Juan Hernandez to win it by three emphatic lengths. Pilot Commander, Slider, and Voltage. Frank Miramonti on the call. The Grade Two San Vicente Stakes, a three-year-old uh, stake at seven furlongs on the main track this past Saturday at Santa Anita. The Bob Baffert trained Muth coming away with the impressive win, stalking the pace and then kicking clear down the lane. Welcome back to the First Bet Racing Show here on HRRN. Bobby Newman, Bob Nastanovich. We head out to the track now. Fairgrounds getting up for their sixth race on the card. Just under 70 degrees, partly cloudy skies right now. Main track fast, a turf course labeled good. And they're on the fast main track for race six, Bob. Starts the late pick five, or I don't know if they have an early pick five. It starts the pick five anyways. Uh, six furlongs, as I mentioned. It's an allowance event for Louisiana-bred fillies and mares that are non-winners of three races lifetime. We've got a field of seven going to post in this race. And uh, number one, Cajun Ninja not only is the heavy favorite at one to two, but a gigantic pick according to the first bet AI, much higher percentage than anyone else, and coming off uh, three very good efforts in a row. Yeah, I didn't think she was locking here at all. I mean, first of all, I think of the seven entrants in here, it looks like five of them have quality speed. I think there's going to be a pretty mad scramble for the uh, lead here. Uh, you know, the cons- you know we've seen already this fairgrounds meet. When that happens, we've seen, you know, what, what you call a, a straggle fest down the lane uh, where nobody gains ground. So it might be a speed of the speed situation, uh, calling um, a horse that uh, Sherman Civilway claimed off of uh, Al Stahl uh, last year is in really great form. She's won two in a row, and she takes a huge class hike from 10,000 up to allowance level. Uh, she bears noting, uh, but there's a real kind of an interesting story in here. The four-horse Louis, uh, who's owned and trained by Garland Goins, this four-year-old filly by Yaki's Warrior. Bob, I'm going to have to cut you off. They're in the gate right oh, now. There they go, fire away. And they're off. And there's Copper Moon, who dashes away. She's a lucky rebel vying for the front, along with Louis V, who's right there, too. Cajun Ninja running in fourth as they make this dash toward the half-mile pole with Jose Guerrero. 
She's a lucky Rebels leader from Louis V with the red cap after a sharp start. Copper Moon showing that positional pace running in third. Cajun Ninjas in fourth, calling in fifth. It's a break of four more. That's my mama running second to last and Louisiana Liberty trails. The first quarter whizzed past in 21.74 seconds. She's a lucky rebel taking them right along with inside three furlongs to go as Cajun Ninja starts to gain now for Deshaun Parker. Cajun Ninja drives through underneath of She's a Lucky Rebel as they turn for home past the quarter pole. Louis V. Copper Moon on the front outside. The Phillies mare straightened away half mile in 45.55 seconds and there she goes. Cajun Ninja at 2-5, to five, and Cage Ninja has pulled clear from She's a Lucky Rebel by seven lengths. Coming down toward the final 16th, Louis V with That's My Mama, Louisiana Legend toward the inside. They're close to home. It's Cajun Ninja for Deshaun Parker. Cajun Ninja wins decisively by seven. Louisiana Legend was second, then Louis V, She's a Lucky Rebel, That's My Mama. Unofficially 1-2 in a show photo between numbers 4 and 5. No doubt about the winner, though, Bob. Number 1, Cajun Ninja, who went off at 2-5, to five, showing speed and just was in a class by herself this afternoon. Yeah, my apologies there. I thought I had a lot more time to talk about how Cajun Ninja was maybe a, a vulnerable 2-5 to five shot. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, no, the rail opened up perfectly for her, and today was her day. And, uh, yeah, a great ride by uh, Deshaun Parker, another Another rider got off to, you know, kind of a slow start at fairgrounds. It's really starting to come good as we expected. He's obviously a very good veteran jockey. Okay, so before we had to cut you off, you were talking about an interesting story regarding the four. Please go ahead and finish. Yeah, I just think it's, you know, horses like this are really cool. You've got a guy, Garland Goines, uh, who is, as far as I can tell, <coughs> trained, uh, trains two horses. Uh, he owns this one, and uh, he's had her... Uh, from the start, I mean, she's, you know, pretty undistinguished from a pedigree standpoint. Uh, who knows what he paid for? I, I can't imagine that it was much. Um, but she ran out $83,000 last year. Um, so I imagine he probably does all the work around the barn uh, with his one or two horses. And uh, she's obviously the stable star. And she came in there on a two-race win streak, including a very nice maiden win at Delta. And then she blew apart an allowance group at uh, Fairgrounds, which really must have felt like the Kentucky Oaks to him. And uh, she ran okay today. Obviously, she bumped in a really good foe, but she ought to be solid at this level. And I expect her, you know, to kind of win this race and add another 30000 to the tally. So it's pretty cool when a horse like this, owned by owned and trained by one guy, uh, can, you know, basically be a, be a full-time job that pays well. Well, she might make a little bit more money today than she originally thought. The, they crossed the wire one, two, four, five, but the light next to the runner-up, number two, Louisiana Liberty, is blinking. Apparently, there is an objection. Now, I don't know if it's a rider objection, trainer objection, or owner objection. And, yeah, that's th that can actually happen. Owners are allowed to object, so are obviously trainers. Most of the time, it's a rider's claim of foul, and most of the time, to be honest, when it's an objection and not an inquiry, nothing happens as far as a change in the order of finish. But they're showing the winner, Cajun Ninja, going back to the winner's circle. Hopefully they're going to show us what exactly allegedly happened uh, involving the runner-up, Louisiana Liberty. Uh, but uh, as of now, they're not. We will keep an eye on that. Uh, while we're looking at that, we can get you prices at both Gulfstream and Aqueduct. Uh, ninth and final on the card at Gulfstream. Uh, was a win for number seven, Tiz Eternal. He's a five-year-old Bay Gelding by Tiz now out of the Gilded Time Mare, Eternal Grace. 
He's owned by Sacatoga Stable, trained by Barkley Tag. Jose Ortiz, the winning rider. Yes, the exact same connections that brought us funny side uh, years ago to win the gelded uh, uh, son of distorted humor who won the Kentucky Derby. It was, of course, ridden by Jose Santos uh, uh, today. Great ride by Jose Ortiz, uh, controlling the pace on the front end. Tis Eternal paid eight sixty to win, four twenty to place, three twenty to show. Uh, promising try again from Sergeant Pepper. Uh, he paid three sixty to place, two eighty to show, and fly right uh, third place here, three twenty to show. The one dollar exact is seven one thirteen dollars and fifty cents. The fifty cent try seven one five twenty three thirty, and the ten cent super. Seven one five four paid seventeen dollars and seventy seven cents. All right, that's the finale at Aqueduct. We owe you prices for the finale. I'm sorry, the finale at Gulfstream. We owe you prices for the finale at Aqueduct. Where number two, Mysaria, who was a huge long shot, held on for the win. Three year old Bay Philly by Central Banker out of the liaison mare, hot liaison, owned by T and J Stable and Tim Hills, who's also the trainer, Katie Davis, the rider. Yeah, May Saria, the two horse paid seventy-four dollars to win, twenty-eight dollars to place, fourteen twenty to show. Going for glory, closed like a f- uh, freight train, five five maybe five six wide. Uh, really promising effort uh, for that one. Paid eight seventy to place, six ten to show, and necessary and proper. Who had shown a lot of speed in, in uh, her career and faded. Uh, that looked like it made a winning bid at one stage, kind of flattened out in the end, but kind of a signs of life for the new running style for necessary and proper. Paid five dollars to show the one dollar exact at two seven, paid four hundred and seventy two fifty. The fifty cent try two seven fourteen, one thousand three hundred twenty six dollars and seventy five cents. And the ten cent super two Seven fourteen one for ten cents paid one thousand four hundred fifty three eighty five. Uh, at fairgrounds, they're still looking at the stretch run for the sixth race. And what happened was, first of all, the favorite Cajun Ninja ran away and hid from the field and was a thousand miles in front of everyone. The runner-up number two, Louisiana Liberty, who closed from last at the top of the stretch to finish second, uh, came through on the inside and through the stretch drifted out a little bit. And it looked like possibly, uh, you know, as going by uh, another horse kind of drifted out, uh, maybe in front of the horse as she was passing her. And this is a a runner who finished either fifth or sixth in the race, and the stewards were looking at it probably to see if the horse who allegedly was bothered was cost a better placing. And you couldn't really tell. They showed the head-on shot about eight, nine, ten, ten, eight nine times in a row didn't show the pan shot at all which i think really would have helped to see you know how far back this horse who allegedly was interfered with uh missed you know a higher placing but they didn't really show that uh what i can tell you is they decided that uh whatever drifting number two louisiana liberty did in the stretch uh it wasn't enough to warrant a disqualification so uh no change results stand is as is, and results for the sixth race at Fairgrounds. Now official number one Cajun Ninja. A super easy win for this four-year-old Bay Philly by custom for Carlos out of the Holy Bull Mare, Holy Moly Susan. She's owned by Thumbs Up Racing and trained by Miguel Silva. Deshaun Parker, the winning rider. Yes, Cajun Ninja won by about eight, nine lengths, I would guess. Uh, paid 280 to win, 220 to place, 210 
to show Louisiana Liberty uh, 480 to place, 280 to show, and for uh, Louisville, uh, one another 5300 bucks for approximately for Garland Goins. Uh, cool horse and uh, definitely gets a check just about every time. The $1 exacto, 1 2 paid $5.30. The 50 cent try, 1 2 4, $13.15. And the 10 cent super, 1 2 4, 5, $12.96. Folks, did you know Verizon is now offering customers a free iPhone 13 or up to $800 to put towards a new 5G phone? This offer is available for all customers, both new and current, with select trade-in and select 5G unlimited plans. Verizon's best 5G unlimited plans offer up to $90 per month of value, the most included value in the industry, and include incredible savings in the most popular entertainment like Disney+, Hulu, ESPN+, Apple Music, and more. So turn, on, turn in your old 4G device, walk away with a brand new 5G device at your local Verizon store today. All right, Bob, um, we've heard stretch runs of both the Ginger Brew and the San Vicente already on the show. I want to talk a little bit about those races and some of the other stakes that happened at Santa Anita and Gulfstream this past week. And we'll start at Gulfstream Park. So we talk a little bit about Ozara, who looked really good under Tyler Gaffleone. Uh, getting the job done for Christophe Clement, won the Ginger Brew by over two lengths, solid racehorse time covering the mile in 133-4. and four. I thought that the Philly you and I both liked in the race, uh, Waskisu ran well. I was completely thrown off by the action in the race. I think Waskisu, who you and I both picked, on our weekend stakes preview last week was eight to one on the morning line. When she was bet down to nine to five, I have to be honest, it saved me a lot of money because I was not interested at those short prices. No, I couldn't I couldn't fathom that either either I fully expected her to be about six or seven to one and that I think that's the reason why both of us uh, selected her. We're trying to identify value in there and I mean life's an audible who ran second in there and beat Waskasu by a head uh, I could see how she was, you know, uh, four to one. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, the most significant thing about this race is Ozara uh, kind of proved herself a class apart, and she definitely looks bound for uh, graded stakes races, uh, whether they be at this meet or, you know, up at Keeneland and then, in, you know, New York later in the year. I mean, she looks like a proper uh, three-year-old filly, and quite frankly, she's bred to be. She's a lovely, she's Irish bred, and she really has a lovely uh, pedigree. There's a lot of good uh, fillies by Lope de Vega. He's been a really outstanding uh, sire over there, and we're starting to see more and more of his uh, runners work their way over. Uh, but, yeah, no, Waskasu, unusual money. And it was, she kind of uh, immediately uh, blew it at the start. She got a bad start. I mean, she was competitive in the race, but... Uh, not up, not up to uh, facing a Philly, but but like Ozara. The the next race on the card was the Limehouse, and this is a race for three year olds sprinting six furlongs on the main track. Seven were entered, and unfortunately, only four uh, made it out of the starting gate. And it was a little bit of a bummer because we were looking. Uh, I know we were looking forward to seeing uh, Sir Flash. I believe it try the dirt for the first time. So I don't know, only being a field of four, to be perfectly honest, the four that ran in the race, good, not great runners, and shipped to shore just made the other three look uh, real slow. Yeah, it was one of those races that cut up really badly. And, um, you know, know, like we're, I think one of the reasons why we made the selection that we did 
um, was because there it didn't look like there was much uh, for for the uh, favor the morning line favorite to beat. Um, who knows where they'll go with that horse next? We thought he was kind of a surprise entrant in there, uh, but Sir Flash did look like. Uh, he found the right group, uh, but alas, um, shipped ashore. If you liked him, uh, and you got paid five sixty, I mean, he never, ever looked like uh, losing the race. So, uh, blew apart the field, and uh, is uh, again proved himself to be perhaps the fastest New Jersey bred in the world right now. Uh, following race at Gulfstream, their eleventh race this past Saturday was the Dania Beach for three-year-olds, going a mile on the turf. And it was a race, uh, another race with a lot of scratches in it. Ten were entered and only six ran uh, in the race. And there ended up being no speed at all in the race. And that allowed a big long shot in Tokayo under Jorge Ruiz to just get out in front of the field, set very slow fractions, and uh, have plenty left to score the upset by almost two lengths. Great ride. Um yeah, I mean, this is a race. I, why why were there so many scratches uh, this weekend there? Could you make any sense of it? Uh, no. I I mean, I, <clears throat> obviously, if, if the race comes off the turf, then that makes sense. Uh, but when horses scratch out of stakes, that's uh, – and they weren't vet – they were all trainer scratches. So they were early on. You know, it wasn't like something happened at the gate, although uh, there was a gate scratch in, in the Limehouse the race before. But, no, I don't know why all these horses came out of the Dania Beach. Yeah, anyways, uh, uh, Jorge Ruiz wrote a beautiful race. I mean, you've got Irad Ortiz, Tyler Gaffleon, Oshin Murphy, John Velasquez, uh, four world-class uh, riders in here uh, sitting and watch uh, Jorge Ruiz on Tokayo, um, who paid twenty nine eighty in the in the end, just kind of walking the dog in 25-32 uh, and 50 flat and one thirteen and 4. And, uh, you know, it's, it looked like one of those situations where any of those uh, four riders who are riding the one-to-two favorite Agate Road, who finished a well-beaten second in here, or Depiction, who you liked, or Edgartown, who I liked, I think they just thought that they could go get Tokayo or Takayo whenever they wanted to, and uh, they couldn't. And uh, great win and great ride, real feather in the cap of uh, young rider uh, Jorge Ruiz, and uh Pretty cool for connections, but, you know, just a total upset and, and just kind of unfathomable that it wasn't a more competitive race than it appeared on paper. On the other side of the country, the Saturday feature at Santa Anita was the grade two San Vicente for the three-year-olds sprinting seven furlongs on the main track. It is not a Kentucky Derby points qualifier for some reason. I don't know why that is. Uh, even if it was a Kentucky Derby points qualifier, the first and second place finishers, Muth and Pilot Commander, both trained by Bob Baffert, certainly would not have been eligible to earn those derby points because, of course, Bob Baffert is still barred from anything Churchill Downs uh, offers, if you will, whether it's racing there or, or points qualifying toward the Oaks in the Derby or whatever it is. Takes nothing away, though, from Muth. Uh, he was heavily bet, I thought over bet, actually, at 2-5. to five. Uh, but when they were coming down to the wire, he certainly looked like he was every bit of that two to five. He got a perfect stalking trip three wide under uh, Juan Hernandez, took the lead uh, probably past the quarter pole or so, and uh, drew out to win by almost three lengths, covered the seven furlongs in 123 flat. And uh, I guess the question mark now, Bob, is what happens with Muth? If, 
if they, and when I say they, the owners, uh, which is Amir Zidane, Zidane Racing Stables, decide that he is a Kentucky Derby type of a horse, and he ran very well around two turns in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, finishing second to fierceness last year. Um, if they think this is a derby kind of a horse, you know, somewhere soon they're going to have to consider taking him away from Bob Baffert, at least temporarily, and putting him into the barn of somebody who's eligible at getting Kentucky Derby qualifying points, whether it be in the, in the Robert B. Lewis or the San Felipe or wherever they decide to go. It really is one of the strangest things in horse racing, isn't it? I mean, Muth and Pilot Commander are incredibly talented horse horses. Uh, you've got Nisos over there, who I believe is second choice in the uh, in the Kentucky Derby futures right now, behind Fierceness, who of course beat Muth rather handily in the uh, Breeders' Cup Juvenile. Um, if you like Fierceness, you got to be feeling pretty great about the San Vicente. But you know, a horse like Muth definitely in any normal situation, would be on the derby trail. Now, personally, I don't really think he's a mile and a quarter horse. I think this is kind of his best game, uh, seven furlongs to a mile. Uh, it'll be interesting if that's a factor when Mr. Zidane talks to uh, Baffert about what to do with Muth. But just the thought this time of year, every year, of having to take a, you know an incredibly talented, uh, rare horse, graded stakes horse, and... Uh, move him for a few months uh it's just it's just it's just an unusual thing that i guess that we'll get used to seeing because you know the baffert barn continues to get incredibly talented and and, uh as it turns out competitive classy horses and it just it just throws a wrench in 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 how the triple crown uh, is approached um but yeah i mean if i own muth i don't know what i'd do i mean what, what would you do well, if I thought I had a Kentucky Derby horse, and I think you have to at least give it a shot, then, yeah, you're going to have to – I would be moving him somewhere else. And that's an interesting question for our upcoming call-in show, which you'll be sitting in with me tonight. I'd love to hear from uh, people listening out there uh, what they think the move is with Muth, uh, where if they think he's going to be moved, he will go. Is this one that will go – is Tim Yakteen just – the de facto we're sending the horses to him kind of a thing again, or, you know, maybe he'll go back east with another trainer. Um, And maybe even a better question is, when do you think this, whatever this is, with Churchill Downs and Baffert will end? Will they just year after year keep saying, well, for another year we're not going to allow him. Eh, For another year we're not going to allow him. Instead (laughs) of just saying, listen, he's just barred for life. Because they don't, I mean, I don't, you know, I, it is, it is, a, it, they're obviously okay in doing this. They have no problem doing it, and they're allowed to do it. Um, the, the, but them dragging this out, making it a year by year thing, almost seems like a twisting the knife kind of deal. It's, I mean, it's kind of bad for the sport. I mean, and then you know, there's the the situation like, like you mentioned with Yakteen, it seems like they're if they're staying put in Southern California, going to Tim Yakteen's barn, then there's a pretty good chance um, that they'll come back to Baffert um, at some point. I mean, obviously Yakteen's a, you know is a longtime Baffert assistant. I mean, some of them do stay with Yakteen. I think it's the ones that probably have proven themselves not to be top shelf. Um, but then you know a lot of them go to. Uh, the East Coast or to the or to you know the fairgrounds, which which makes sense in a way. Um, you know, generally, 
Uh, there's some pretty competitive, uh, obviously, the Derby Show races in, in Kentucky, Florida, Fairgrounds, even New York, um, offer a lot of opportunities for these horses to earn points for what now is the $5 million Breeders' Cup Classic. So, yeah, now, for the Colin Show, I'd like people to think, like, if you owned a horse like Muth or Nisos, uh, what would you do and where would you go? I mean, because in Southern California, Bob Baffert, as far as we can tell, trains the best three-year-old. So, you know, there's point, you know, a lot of points to be made out there to qualify you for a $5 million um, incredibly prestigious horse race. Um, so, I mean, it, w- would you take the horse and move him to a big-time trainer some, somewhere else and uh, hope to pick up points there, or would you stay put? So, I mean, there's a lot of factors involved, and each individual is, you know, is a different uh, thing. But in, in the case of Muth, I mean, I, I mean, if he were, I guess if he were mine, I would keep him out there and, uh, you know, consider moving him um, and, and running him in Southern California because he obviously loves that racetrack. I mean, he loves Santa Anita, so uh, it's, it's almost hard to fathom that he wouldn't be able to earn enough points uh, to get in, uh, even, you know, possibly running against the likes of, likes of Nisos, who, who – I mean, that's the other thing about the Baffert Barn. Aren't they kind of less like they're less likely to go to Oaklawn, even you know, a place where they it's been kind of a happy hunting ground for the stable in the last decade or so. I mean, well, unless, can, unless they transfer to some, you know to somebody who likes running at Oaklawn, there's certainly a lot of money as well as a lot of points out there. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we want to head out to Fairgrounds. They're getting ready for the seventh race, about six minutes away from post time. It's also the race that Bob has his first bet of the day, so we want to give him time before that. First bet racing show on HRRN. Don't you wish your life came with a warning app? Stop. That dog does not want to be petted. (laughs) Just a little heads up before something bad happens. Move your coffee cup away from your computer. Oh, no, 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 no. So you can have more control. Stop. You're texting your boss by mistake. Uh-oh. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but pre-diabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes like managing your weight, getting active, stopping smoking, and eating healthier, you can stop pre-diabetes before it leads to type 2 diabetes. It's easy to learn your risk. Take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Warning. The cap is loose on that catch-up. Don't wait. You have the power to change the outcome. Visit doihaveprediabetes.org today. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Hi, we're the Goo Goo Dolls. We're fortunate that we can give our daughters everything they need to grow and learn. But not every child can focus on classes and play dates. Nearly 13 million kids in the U.S. face hunger. That's one in six. School lunch might be their only meal each day. And it's heartbreaking to imagine any child going to bed hungry. We're dreaming of a perfect day when kids can smile, play, and just be kids without worrying about where their next meal will come from. Feeding America is working to make that perfect day a reality. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste. That food is given to families and children in need. Being a kid should be about doing things that make an ordinary day extraordinary. Learning to play an instrument, building a sandcastle, hosting tea parties. Hunger should never be an obstacle to growing up. You can help end childhood hunger in your community by visiting feedingamerica.org. 
Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. I'm Ryan Seacrest. First responders are people who stand for a greater purpose. They will be there for you when nobody else is, to help you, your family, your community. This is their selfless promise. This is their sworn duty, to protect, to serve, to help. When you call 911, first responders show up now. Let's show up for the people who show up for us every day and every night. Go to firstrcf.org and make a difference today. HRRN is live online. Go to our website at horseracingradio.net to stream all of our broadcasts live or listen to the show archives anytime. Read our blogs, get the latest news, and see our entire broadcast schedule. It's all there at horseracingradio.net. And follow us on Twitter at HRRN and like our page on Facebook. Search Apple Podcasts for HRRN and download our latest shows. HRRN is home to racing's biggest events, and our home on the web is at horseracingradio.net. You're listening to the First Bet Racing Show on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Overcharge coming toward the quarter pole and free like a girl now, launching her bid after overcharged as the stage is set past the quarter pole. Top of the stretch in 45.18 seconds. It's overcharged. The daughter of Star Guitar and Overcharged is slipping away with one furlong to go. She's built up a six, seven late lead from Bella with on the outside. Free like a girl toward the inside spirit of beauty with Jose Guerrero for Shane Wilson. Brentland Stable, she's overcharged and she's won the Bob F. Wright Memorial Stakes by a half dozen lengths from Bell Out. Free like a girl, third and Spirit of Beauty finished fourth, 109.75. Welcome back. First Bed Racing Show here on HRRN. Bobby Newman, Bob Nastanovich, that of course John Dooley calling the Bob Wright Memorial this past weekend. Overcharged getting the impressive win. Talk a little bit about more about that in a few minutes. We need to get out to fairgrounds for live racing, though, now. Seventh race on the card, about five and a half furlongs on the turf. Maiden special weight event for the three-year-olds and up. Bob, scratch number 10. That was uh, a main track only named Coops. Nine of them going to post, including your first bet of the day. Yeah, this is one of those races, the five and a half furlong sprint on the grass, or about five and a half. Um, I, I just thought this was kind of a strange lineup, and this is a turf sprint where most of the entrants in here really don't have much in uh, terms of turf pedigrees, and the ones that do have some uh, turf influences in their pedigrees don't really seem to like the grass. Uh, I can understand why Mo Saturdays is a uh, favorite. It's the uh, it's Al Stahl and Corey Lannery. Uh, he's a pretty uh, reliable closer. Um, good horse, in fact, crossed the line in first uh, last February on this turf course going a mile and was disqualified, so remains a maiden and, and is still a maiden. Uh, so from that standpoint, is a source of frustration. I mean, a man walks into a bar who's by practical joke out of a forestry mare, uh, tries the turf for the first time uh, in his ninth lifetime start, and uh yes i mean i it's just that that horse doesn't look particularly turfy to me on paper uh, uh there's a horse in here called prince cosmo who's a price 24 to 1 who's bred for the turf but seems to clearly prefer dirt um i like i like a horse in here quite a bit and it's a huge price it's the one horse one true gentleman who's an ontario bred trained by uh steve flint uh is a very consistent horse has run a second four times Tries the turf for the uh, second time after running some good races up at Woodbine. 
uh, was sent off even money in that race and 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 faded and finished seventh. Uh, but they they liked him that day. He turns back from a dirt route to a turf sprint. Uh, Mitchell Merle picks up the ride for uh, Steve Flint, and I just think he's pretty live in here at a price, and he's he's got a very turfy uh, pedigree that might not be uh, familiar to a lot of uh, of uh, followers because it's you know it's a very much a Canadian pedigree being by society's chairman who was an excellent turf horse there out of a good uh, smart strike mare called Wild Strike. So uh, kind of been bouncing around the board. It's kind of been bet in lately to a 12 to 1, was 6 to 1 in the morning line. Looks good on the racetrack, and I just think it's a very good value play. All right, number one, one true gentleman. Bob's first bet of the day is uh, that one walks into the starting gate. First bet, AI says number three, most Saturdays is uh, probably where you want to be, but not a gigantic choice as far as uh, percentage goes. 18% chance of win on most Saturdays. Who's bet down lower than that? 18% would basically be a four to one shot. Most Saturdays is lower than that, so maybe not great value. As Bob mentioned, Most Saturdays already has beaten Maidens once in his career, but he was disqualified from that victory. Uh, so technically 0 for 8 coming into this race today. Last few runners going in. Here's John Dooley with the seventh at Fairgrounds. Rolf and sprinting. Even start. There's Coach's Meeting who races out with the Gray Prince Cosmo and Nearest the inside, there's a true gentleman who's made a dash now for Mitchell Murrell. One true gentleman has taken the lead from Prince Cosmo, staying right there with one true gentleman past the half mile. The next gray, a man walks into a bar through into third. Hogslayer's RIP is in fourth. Cafe Racer fifth. Most Saturdays was in tight quarters, went in about seventh position as they enter the far turn. Between horses, coaches meeting wide auto dial. Most Saturdays got the shuffle to three furlongs from home, and El Pajaro Loco has dropped back to ninth and last. 22.05 for the lead part. They turn for home at the quarter pole. One true gentleman leads off the turn from Prince Cosmo. A man walks into a bar, moving up that gap between horses. Here comes a man walks into a bar, descends on one true gentleman. Cafe racer toward the inside. Coaches meeting, launching a standside rally. They come past the 16th. It is still one true gentleman, but here's coaches meeting, rattling home for Raylu. Raylu Gutierrez and coaches meeting to win it by two. One true gentleman was second. A man walks into a bar. Third, Cafe Racer finished fourth. Unofficially, 7-1-4-2, the order of finish in the seventh race at Fairgrounds. Coaches meeting coming from well off the pace and coming off about a 10-month layoff for the team of Brett Calhoun and Raylu Gutierrez. Uh, rolling home down the center of the course, Bob, and uh, passing basically the entire field in doing so. Six to one, the final price on this son of twirling candy. Yeah, really good effort. Um, ran on the grass uh, July 16th of 2022 at Ellis. Um, got off a step slow, uh, raced evenly, then came back at the fairgrounds in March and was well beaten, uh, broke from the inside in, in both of uh, his only two starts. So this is a one of these horses is, is run uh, once a year and is a four-year-old by Twirling Candy, uh, so... Obviously, for Brett Calhoun, he's been very difficult to train, uh, and but you can see why they've stuck with him. He, he has abundant ability, and he uh, showed it here under uh, Ray Lou, um, the favorite, uh, sort of as expected. Um, 
seemed like bad value and kind of ran into some trouble. Uh, the frustration continues for fans of uh, Mo Saturdays. And one true gentleman really did provide a bold sight in front for uh, Mitchell Morrill. He obviously uh, sent the horse uh, from the outset. It looked like very good tactics, and he beat all but the uh, hard-charging uh, uh, winners, who probably is a pretty nice horse. Coach's meeting would be nice to see him race more. Hopefully he'll uh, make a return to the races uh, sort of on a more normal schedule. Yeah, he he ran really well, too well to lose, but a valiant effort at 12 to 1 and a good pick nonetheless. By the way, this is a it's it's part of my degeneracy. One of my pet peeves of racing over the years is uh, when you pick a good horse like that, who's a nice price, and he or she runs very well, but ends up second best, and you you know you're you're a little down in the dumps because you were very close to making a nice score or something like that. There's always somebody out there, and they I don't think they realize how ridiculous this is when they do it. But there's always somebody out there who asks, "Well, did you back him up? Did you bet any, Did you bet him to place?" And you just want to wring their neck, pal. <laughs> I was very close to cashing, you know, imagine my arms far apart, this much money. You're asking me if I basically, you know, bet enough to not lose in the race. I'm not interested. That's fine and all. That's not the question I want to answer right now. Uh, and, and we all have friends that do that stuff. Uh, so I'm not going to ask that question, but I will say it was a good pick. Unfortunately, he was second best today. I'm not sure how you could imagine that the seven coaches meeting was going to put in that kind of stretch run because we hadn't seen it in the first two starts of his career. But obviously, Brett Calhoun and his team did a great job with this four-year-old at getting him ready off a long layoff. He's another one like that Barkley tag one that we saw earlier at uh, in the card that uh, d- doesn't seem to be able to stay on the racetrack but when he's there, he runs good races. He debuted July of 22, then came back March of 23, and now comes back January of 24. So if you're going with that theory, we're due to see him around October. Yeah, I mean, uh, no, I didn't back him up. In fact, when I saw him, uh, one true gentleman going in the gate at 12 to 1 and sort of the morning line of 6 to 1, uh, which I would have graciously accepted as you know, sort of a decent price. I I, uh, I doubled down, so it's particularly painful uh, to see coaches meeting for the first time in his uh, career uncork. Really a menacing turn of foot uh, to win going away, and and uh, when Ray Lou tipped him out and he first got going, um, he had a lot to do. Uh, so you know, you're kind of always hoping the horse will hang, and uh, hang he didn't. Um, so that's the way it goes. Uh, let's get the prices out for the seventh race at Fairgrounds, where number seven coaches meeting got the win. Four-year-old Bay Colt by Twirling Candy out of the tail of a Cotty mare, Miss Sammy, owned by Michelle Levin, trained by Brett Calhoun, Ray Lou Gutierrez, the rider. Hopefully we don't have to wait until 2025 to see him again, uh, but uh, I guess he's paid for his vacation if needed. Coaches meeting was the seven, paid 14.80 to win. 860 to, to place, 560 to show. One true gentleman paid $10 even to place, 680 to show, and a man walks into a bar first time on the turf, uh, showed some affinity for it for the Stidham Barn, and paid $4 to show. The $1 exact is 717970, the 50 cent try, 714, $216 and a quarter. And the uh, ten cent superfect, two ten cent superfecta, seven one four and two, two hundred and forty five dollars and forty four cents. 
Folks, everyone's favorite special wager is back for 2024. It's the Coast to Coast Pick 5. Featuring races from Gulfstream Park and Santa Anita, this wager is extra player-friendly with a 15% takeout, and it runs every Saturday and Sunday through April 7th. Get 10 times first rewards points on every dollar you bet on the Coast to Coast Pick 5 with first bet, and those first, those coast-to-coast pick fives continue to pay very, very well with those $1 minimum wagers. All right, we just heard a, a live race at Fairgrounds, and we're about 17 minutes, 18 minutes away from the next live race at the Fairgrounds, but they had three pretty nice stakes this past Saturday down in New Orleans, and we heard the stretch run of the Bob Wright Memorial coming out of our last break, overcharged for the team of uh, Shane Wilson and Jose Guerrero getting the job done as the second choice at 7-5, to five, beating free like a girl pretty easily in the race. Bailout actually split those two, but overcharged, ran away and hid with the race. Bob actually made the lead. By the time they got to the quarter pole, the race was basically over, and she drew out to win by almost seven. Yeah, no, she's in career best form. I mean, she's really stringing together from um, some excellent uh, – efforts and uh, star guitar who really has emerged in the in the last several years as a uh, dominant sire in louisiana racing uh was owned and raced by britland stable um evelyn benoit's a britland stable long-standing uh force in uh, louisiana bred racing and overcharged uh is yet another one this one has been kept by evelyn benoit and uh look she's very good right now and and uh she beat the usual suspects, but she beat them soundly. She beat, you know, a really nice uh, Philly finished third there, Free Like a Girl. Yeah, I don't think Free Like a Girl ran her best race in finishing third. I'm not sure she would have beaten Overcharged anyway because I think Overcharged basically did run her best race in taking the Bob Wright. There were two other stakes on the Saturday card. Uh, the Gary Palmasano Memorial uh, was a little earlier in the card. It was a race that I believe um, – well, it was a race that had a field of six and uh, a heavy favorite in Braun and Brow that you and I both liked. I didn't love the price on Braun and Brow. I didn't think that he should be even money in the field, especially since Mangum, who had defeated him in their, his last start, was in against him once again. Uh, but you and I and it seemingly everyone saw through that and thought that Braun and Brow would get the better of the trips, and he did, and he got the win with Relu Gutierrez aboard. Yeah, I just think he's he's a better sprinter, um, especially on this this uh, main track. The main track at Fairgrounds, uh, traditionally for whatever reason, even though it's a very very long stretch uh, and seems fair in every way, shape, and form, it's difficult to close ground there. Uh, Braun and Brow, who who has uh, tactical speed and just outclass this field, but Mangum uh, really looks like more of a miler. Uh, that's how he's generally applied his trade. Um, he was very fortunate and ran a massive race when he won the uh, previous race in the uh, series. Uh, sprinting stayed there, uh, kind of proved right in the, in the Palmasano that Braun and Brow is probably a better sprinter, but they're uh, both very good. And Mike Jay, who's uh, obviously a pretty talented speedster himself, split two uh, really good horses in the, in the Palmasano under uh, jockey Aubrey Green for uh, trainer Lee Thomas. The other stake I'm on sorry. the Saturday yeah. card was the uh, Nelson Mamard, Menard Memorial. It was a race for Phillies and Mares scheduled at five and a half furlongs on the turf, but it was moved over to the fast main track. 
and um, actually not a whole lot of scratches in this race. Nine entered, but seven ran. Uh, you and I both thought Uvra was certainly the one to beat on turf, and one of the reasons that she's so good and that she got bet is that as good as she is on turf, she's shown in the past that she's very good on dirt as well. So the move over to the main track did nothing but probably enhance her chances of getting the job done. Public saw right through that, better down to four to five. She got a good trip under Jareth Loveberry and won by a length and a half. Yeah, you mentioned in the weekend stakes preview, this is the kind of horse that uh, you love to own uh, because she's pretty much great on everything. And, uh, yeah, we loved her on turf, and she has that unusual versatility. I mean, she's run some of her best races on the main track at – at uh, Hawthorne, uh, the pride and joy of owner-breeder Richard Perkins. Uh, he's been been around for a long time. This one trained by uh, Chris Block, uh, Jareth Loveberry, and uh, she ran her career record now to 15 for 24 with three seconds and three-thirds, and uh, there certainly isn't an Illinois-bred mare um, out there that wants to see Uvra um, lining up in any Illinois bred races. I mean, she just kind of dominates up there when she wants to and uh, can take her show on the road on just about any surface and uh, very, very classy mare by Shackelford. Folks, exciting news. Horse Racing's most player-friendly handicapping tournament, the Pegasus World Cup Betting Championship, is back on Saturday, January 27th. What makes it so great? Well, most importantly, first is seeding the prize pool with $50,000 of their own cash. And of your $6,000 buy-in, $5,000 of it is your live tournament bankroll, and just $1,000 goes to prizes. That means more money for you to use to rocket to the top of the leaderboard. At 200 players, you're looking at a $250,000 prize pool, and the prizes themselves stand alone. We're talking huge stacks of cash, plus BCBC seats, NHC seats, and seats to the new and improved Ultimate Betting Challenge. Plus, you can play in the PWCBC online at ExpressBet or on track at either Gulfstream Park or Santa Anita. Think you got what it takes? Registration begins on Monday, January 15th. So head over to PWCBC.com for registration and more information. All right, we are going to take a break. When we come back, we've got more live racing coming up from Fairgrounds, more racing we've got to talk about from this past weekend. And I'm going to tell you, Bob, what I would do if I had some of these good Bob Baffert three-year-olds that I thought maybe uh, were possible Kentucky Oaks or Kentucky Derby runners. This is the First Bet Racing Show on HRRN. In honor of all those we've lost to cancer and those still fighting and thriving, like basketball analyst and cancer champion Dick Vitale. I want to beat cancer. I'm going to beat it. That's no doubt in my mind. I'm going to win this battle. Defeating cancer will take all of us. Join our team to help fund game-changing research that saves lives. At the V Foundation, V is for victory over cancer. V is for victory over the odds. V is for victory over health disparities. Victory over setbacks. Victory over the unknown. V is for victory over giving up. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. Donate to the V Foundation to join our team and help save lives. Cancer can take away all my physical abilities. It cannot touch my mind, it cannot touch my heart, and it cannot touch my soul. 100% of donations fund game-changing cancer research. Donate now to the V Foundation at V.org. 
chicken say? Uh, chicken. Oh, okay. Uh. And a wolf? Oh, a wolf. Uh, uh, ooh! What about the tiny dog? What does the turkey say? Whale. Whale sound. Do the giraffe. Giraffe, really? Okay. Giraffe. Uh, giraffe. 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 You're not going to get it all right. Just make sure you nail the big stuff, like making sure your kids are buckled correctly in the right seat for their age and size. Get it right. Visit NHTSA.gov. Slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Has your child swallowed your medicine, your laundry detergent, your nail polish remover? Call the Poison Helpline. Have you inhaled paint thinner, glue, pesticides? Call the Poison Helpline. Have a question about a dose, a fume, something your kid just drank? Call the Poison Helpline. Poisonings can happen at the home, on the job, or in the great outdoors. Call the Poison Helpline first for fast, free advice from medical professionals. Call 1-800-222-1222 anytime, anywhere. 1-800-222-1222. Save the number save a life brought to you by the u.s department of health and human services trainer talk presented by phasing tipton please join me in welcoming hall of fame trainer todd fletcher hall of fame trainer nick zito on trainer talk welcome hall of famer bob baffert to the program hall of fame trainer suge mcgahee nice enough to spend some time with us. hall of fame trainer bill mott here on trainer talk dual hall of fame trainer mark cassie trainer talk the biggest names in horse racing wednesdays 6 to 7 p.m eastern Sirius 162, XM 207, and streaming live at horseracingradio.net. You're listening to The First Bet Racing Show on the Horse Racing Radio Network. The trailer is sweet, Saudi Jay, as they approach a quarter mile left to go. El Grandeo is still there. El Grandeo is kicked on. Continue to challenge as Conate. Drum roll, please. Starts to go through the gears on the grandstand side. El Grandeo is trying to find that wire, but here comes Drum Roll, please, in clear pursuit. Drum Roll, please, is now up by a half length. It's Drum Roll, please, with a 16th of a mile to go. It's going to be Drum Roll, please. And Javier Castellano awarded Derby points. They win the Jerome. Drum Roll, please, wins it over El Grande O. Then came Connie and Regalo in 1 minute 41 and 4. That was Chris Griffin on the call of the Jerome Stake for three-year-olds this past weekend at Aqueduct, and you heard it there in the call, a race that's worth Kentucky Derby points. Drum roll, please, for Brad Cox and Javier Castellano rolls to victory from well off the pace in a short field of five, wins by almost four lengths, and gets 10 Kentucky Derby qualifying points in the meantime. Welcome back. First bet racing show here on HRRN. Bobby Newman, Bob Nastanovich. Folks, 2024 is starting off with another installment of the First Bet $20,000 Sweepstakes Series. Earn entries for every wager you make from January 1st through January 31st to win a $1,000 betting voucher. Get bonus entries on weekends and on first tracks. Ten runner-up winners get $500 betting vouchers. Another 103rd prize winners get $100 betting vouchers. You can't win if you don't opt in, so load up your First Bet account and start wagering. Uh, Bob, we've got them coming onto the track now for the eighth race out at the fairground. Six furlongs on the main track. It's a maiden event for fillies and mares 
that uh, are in for a 12-5 tag. So uh, I think that's the lowest level that they run Maidens 4 out in fairgrounds. Scratch numbers 6 and 7. Field of 8 going to post here. And uh, all the action coming in on number 3, First Love for Tom Amos and Yoel Navas and your good friend Maggie Moss, who's the owner. First Love, uh, simply put, has been running against much tougher competition the first three starts of her career, all against maiden special weights. Not only drops in for a tag for the first time, but plummets to the bottom. Yeah, no, Maggie Moss, um, let's face it, she's been one of the most successful owners in American racing in, over the last 25 years. I mean, she paid $160,000 uh, for this uh, daughter of Cantharos. I'm sure that hopes were high. I'm sure she's a beautiful filly. Um, things just haven't worked out. I mean, she stopped. She's got speed, and she just she puts on the brakes. She just stops badly. Um, I don't know what the issue is, but uh, this is a precipitous drop. Uh, she drops all the way down to maiden claiming 12-5. I thought it was kind of interesting that uh, her main man, her trainer, Tom Amos, taps uh, bug boy Yoel Novice to ride, probably, probably, I guess, to get a few more pounds off. Um, definitely the sewer that uh, would be overbet, I mean, and is being overbet. Um, and, I mean, a horse that stops this badly at, at any level, uh, you can't back with confidence, especially uh, odds on. Uh, and then, you know, Chris Hartman, he's doing so much better at Oakland Park than he is at Fairgrounds. He just has the one win at uh, Fairgrounds. It's hard to take uh, Mrs. Uh, Speaker uh, with any confidence at all. Um, I thought it was kind of notable that the nine horse in here request for proposal. He was a five-year-old maiden bear by Mastery. Uh, Paul McGee, it's, it's really cool to see him uh, three for five now with a smaller stable down at Fairgrounds. And, uh, you know, she'll be closing late, but if this race does collapse, and it looks like the kind of race that could, I mean, uh, you know, unless First Love gets out there and just jogs on the front end, uh, she might get challenged a little bit, and the race might fall apart. And at uh, five to one, you'd have to kind of give request for proposal a look. All right. So the favorite first love has shown that she has speed to go twenty-one and four, forty-five and three in a few races, or at least in one race. Uh, how fast do you think she needs to go today to get a clear lead? Because I think going that fast did not work out very well for her, and maybe if she's able to you know, go 22 and two and 46 and one and still have a clear lead. You know, the, the stock that's behind her today may not be able to get her. Well, the other speed in here is, is gold plus. And, um, uh, you know, Jose Rodriguez rides for Keith Bourgeois and they went a lot of races together and, uh, she flashed some decent speed last time. She went 22 and one 46 and two, uh, before she stopped uh, and kind of uh, came home clumsily on the uh, on the left lead of what you know, I mean, she's fine. Uh, she's by Golden Sense out of a value plus mare, so she's you know bred to be fast. And uh, you know, I expect her to uh, kind of try to hook first love as best she can. Uh, you know, I don't think that she's going to try to stalk her. I think she's. Ba I think uh, Rodriguez will basically gun from the outside. So. In an ideal world, first love needs to be kind of comfortably front in front, uh, you know, through through an opening quarter of, of 22. Um, and if Gold Plus really pressures or you know, kind of anything could happen in here. 
Uh, but to me, the one who's most likely to pick up the pieces uh, is the Paul McGee trainee, um, you know, who who showed some signs last time when, you know, bet into favoritism at 230 to 1. And this is her, you know, she returns in a sprint. She's kind of bred to sprint. Um, he had her running on the grass. Chad Brown did. David Duggan did. And Paul McGee tried her on the grass. Uh, you know, they dropped her down again. Um, she, you know, works okay in the morning, and she just seems like the kind of horse uh, that if this race uh, collapses, then uh, she'll be the mare in the, in the right spot. Um, but, again, uh, difficult race and not not a very bettable race because, you know, it would not be a, a, an entire surprise to see First Love win this by six lengths and, and have about four or five people drop uh, for um Generally speaking, following Maggie over the years, the ones that do drop like this in in, in class are <clears throat> are best avoided. I mean, they're dropping, you know, uh, for a reason. Um, I'd much rather bet her on the class rise. So uh, a nice way of saying that she's not giving something away, you know. that, that Definitely not. Is, th- there are reasons that they're dropping this one down, probably reasons that the apprentice is riding for a barn in Tom Amos that – uh, they usually do not get together and uh, you know team up with horses very often, um, but and, but you got even money on a horse that uh, on a filly rather that has been running against considerably tougher competition. Uh, according to the first bet AI, the two that you were talking about the most are the top two choices: number three, First Love, and number nine, Request Request for Proposal. Uh, the second choice in the wagering is actually number five, Mrs. Speaker who is 0 for 8 coming into this race today, and she's hit the board in three of her last four starts. Yeah, I mean, she's in form, and you can't really say that about that many of them. Um, so, yeah, if you if you like her, that it's nice to uh, be backing a, a horse in form. All right, the uh, Maidens are ambling toward the starting gate for the eighth race on the card at Fairgrounds. They have a 10-race uh, card today at the fairgrounds and we'll be able to bring you a, at least coverage of the ninth i don't believe we'll be able to, i think we'll be able to bring you coverage of the ninth as long as they get into the into the gate for the eighth race on time we might be able to bring you the ninth as well but a 10 race card on this thursday afternoon that's kind of what they've been doing they do like they'll do 10 on a thursday then they might only do eight on a friday when some of the other tracks like Oaklawn and Santa Anita join the mix with Aqueduct and Gulfstream as well, and then they might then they'll have more races on Saturday and Sunday. So pretty smart that they're taking advantage of a day like today, Thursday, where let's face it, right now with Gulfstream and Aqueduct already complete, they are certainly the the gorilla in the room as far as the uh, top racetrack uh, class-wise running in the United States right now. Last few runners are making their way into the starting gate for this. Eighth race on the fairgrounds card. Got to go now, now. Is moving into the center of the gate toward the outside. Number 10 free form for Don Habib and Jareth Loveberry to complete the line. Coming off a nice third place finish at this level in her most recent start. Here's John Dooley. And they're off. Mrs. Speaker was quick to break the line. Good speed from goal plus and toward the inside. There's first love. Who's now going out toward the front for Yoel Navas. First love. Leans here. Close up. Goal plus. Mrs. Speaker. Gotta go now now. Moving through with the white blinkers. Freeform is running in fifth past the half mile. It's a break of three more to Marmo Moon. Request for proposal. And toward the inside. 
Great Pearl Trails, the maiden Phillies mare sprint. The opening quarter was 22.07 seconds. Around the far turn they go, three furlongs from home. First Love and Gold Plus staying right with her, coming toward the quarter pole, while five clear for Mrs. Speaker. In turn, four more to Freeform, who will straighten away a wide fourth. Gotta go now, now in fifth. Request for proposal in sixth, making her 13th run. Then Great Pearl, we trail back to Marmo Moon. Heads are turned for home, half mile 45.53 seconds. With Yoel Navas, First Love has pulled clear here to a six-length lead with one furlong to go. Mrs. Speaker, request for proposal, running on toward the inside. Freeform is next. Goal Plus has dropped back. It's First Love. And First Love has scored the winning run by four and a half lengths. Mrs. Speaker was second. Request for proposal third. And Freeform finished fourth. Good race for the chalk players as I think the first three favorites run one, two, three in the race. Three, five, nine, ten. The actual top four finishers. In the eighth race at Fairgrounds, First Love is able to get the lead, fend off Gold Plus going into the turn, shake clear to about a three-length lead at the top of the stretch, and cruise to win, covering the six furlongs in 111 and 2. That was a lot of class relief, and it showed. Um, race kind of set up was as we thought, and uh, uh, one one person that will be very pleased about that is a young rider, Yoel Navis, who... Uh, Probably the first time he's ridden in those silks, and uh, as far as we can tell, the first time he's ridden for a Mr. Amos. He got his seventh win of the meet. He's having a very good meet, and uh, uh, I'm, I'm sure he'll look forward to more opportunities riding for uh, Amos, and that usually means uh, winning opportunities, uh, and he did absolutely nothing wrong, and uh, again, must be a good feeling for uh, him to know that he's uh, improved his business. Yeah, two things here. Whoever ends up with first love after this race, whether somebody claimed him or not, he looks like if he ran against lower-level non-twos in Louisiana, or rather if she did in her uh, next start, she would be uh, pretty tough to beat because uh, the way she looked in this maiden score, it looks like that's probably where she should be uh, class-wise. Secondly, uh, if uh, it good on you if you bet on first love, but bad as far as the price goes, even money, as they were basically all loaded into the starting gate, but two to five, the final price on this daughter of Cantheros. And uh, somebody a lot wiser than me, or at least somebody who thought they were a lot wiser than me, once told me, son, if you got the five, why do you need the two? And I always thought, I'll never forget that one, and I agree with that. At first love looked a little bit better at even money than she does at two to five, but she's now an official winner of the eighth race at Fairgrounds, and we'll get you those prices in just a little bit. Uh, it's time now for the Blood Horse News Update and a look at the top headlines from bloodhorse.com. Well, there's a lot of news that's happened in the last few days. Some of it's interesting and some of it's just sad, and this is a sad one. Jockey Luis Marcano killed in motorcycle accident. The racing community rocked again the night of January 7th. His apprentice jockey Luis Yamil Marcano was killed in a motorcycle accident in his native Puerto Rico. He was 19 years old. He rode his first race at Camarero on January 1st of 2023, finishing fourth before winning each of his next two races, making his U.S. debut in March at Mahoney Valley Racecourse. Marcano picked up Mountain Turfway, Keeneland, Horseshoe Indy, and before settling into Belterra Park for the summer. Marcano finished eighth in Belterra's jockey standings and was named the track's leading apprentice for 2023 with 40 wins for 271 outs. Uh, and this is just makes it even more sad. Marcano had recently learned 
that his girlfriend was expecting their child. Um, and by the way, the gentleman, the reports indicate Marcano was riding a Honda CRF 450 motorbike on, uh, on an expressway in San Juan and was struck by a Ford F-150 truck, which unfortunately fled the scene. Uh, that wraps up this afternoon's edition of the Blood Horse News Update. There's still time to take advantage of the Blood Horse Magazine Winter Special Offer. Right now, when you subscribe to the Thoroughbred Industries' premier monthly magazine, you'll receive a 2024 Blood Horse calendar. It's a $24.95 value, absolutely free. Plus, with your Blood Horse Magazine subscription, you'll have free membership to Blood Horse Plus, where you'll have access to behind-the-scenes exclusive videos, a detailed stake section, Fox Sports and Blood Horse branded weekly programs showcasing showcasing rather the thoroughbred industry's upcoming races and recapping stakes races, as well as on-demand access to deeper horse stats and more. Go to bloodhorse.com forward slash HRRN today to take advantage of this special offer. Man, there's just, it seems like there's a story like this at least two or three times a year, Bob. And this is sad. On, I, I never had the opportunity to meet Luis Marcano. As it said, he's 19 years old. He's only been riding or was riding for a little over a year and uh, was riding mainly in the Cincinnati area. Uh, it's certainly, you know, beyond sad that he was killed uh, in this accident. It makes it even worse with the fact that uh, the person who apparently was driving the other car left the scene. It doesn't say, doesn't make it sound like they know who it was. And unfortunately, uh, he was a father to be. Yeah, sad news all around. I mean, I got I have absolutely nothing to add other than uh, uh, bless him and his family. Uh, just horrendous news, and I'm sure uh, he made some good friends and uh, connections. At places like Beltair, Beltair and Horseshoe, Indiana, and and Mahoning, and uh, uh, you know, sad, very sad news for them. I'm sure they were looking forward to having uh, Luis back. And uh, again, let's. Uh, uh, and there's just nothing, nothing you can say when when uh, something that tragic happens. No, the story in the Blood Horse, and they do a good job reporting, it goes on to say that basically he was well-liked by everyone in the room, and he was the kind of guy that always, you know, had a joke to crack and things like that, and it sounds like in the brief time that he uh, had here in this country that uh, the other riders really took to him well, and uh, it's just sad all the way around, and uh, unfortunate incident with apprentice Luis Marcano, who died uh, a few days ago in his native Puerto Rico. All right, um, we're going to take a break. When we come back, um, we are going to give you the prices for the eighth race at the fairgrounds. We've still got the ninth race coming up at the fairgrounds. Talk a little bit more um, more cheerful things going forward. And actually, I'm going to give everyone my idea for what I would do if I had some or at least some of these Bob Baffert runners. It's something that, Bob, I, I, I would love for our listeners to call in and give us ideas during the upcoming call-in show, which is just a half hour from now. And we'll give you that phone number uh, just a little before the, the top of the hour. But I'd love to hear from HRRN Nation, you know, if they had some or all of these really good Bob Baffert newly turned three-year-olds, 
what they would do. Are, you know, would you are would you stick with your man? And say, listen, uh, I'm behind him. I don't like what Churchill's doing. Uh, I, you know, if he's not allowed in the Derby or the Oaks, then we're not going to the Derby or the Oaks, even if we have the best horse. Most people, I think, would not go that direction. They'd say, listen, we have to, you know, we, we're going to have to find at least a temporary home uh, for a horse to give him or her a chance at this glory the first weekend of May. Uh, I would love to hear what HRRN Nation thinks about this. And, by the way, if and when you think you will see Bob Baffert running horses at Churchill Downs again, and you notice I say if and when because it's not a when, it's an if and when. They, it, Churchill Downs does not have to allow him to ever be allowed at Churchill Downs ever again. We only know that through 2024 he's not going to be there. We'll see what the announcement is later this year for Bob Baffert's future uh, beneath the Twin Spires. This is the First Bet Racing Show on HRRN. It just isn't the same without the lion. Join the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance today. Visit SDZWA.org. People do some pretty cool things in their 40s and 50s. Why should saving for retirement be any different? I mean, they go back to college. Learn new instruments. Start skateboarding. Whoa! Okay, maybe that one's not for everybody, but saving for retirement is. With aceyourretirement.org, you can get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. Just have a three-minute chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach from AARP. You'll get personalized recommendations based on your input that are easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Gnarly move, Dad. Thanks, sweetie. So wherever you are in your retirement savings journey, head to aceyourretirement.org and start chatting with Avo today. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. James Brown and Bill Cower welcoming you back to Dennis Melvin's house. It's time for the Midnight Snack Run. This is one tricky obstacle course. Sticking to healthy habits in this kitchen is going to take focus and determination, but it can be done, JB. He's already entered the snack part of the course, and he's eyeballing a jar of chocolatey candy. That is tempting right off the start. Uh-oh. He's reaching, Bill, but he pushes it away. Great stiff arm. He's approaching a plate of delicious-looking iced cookies. Oh, Dennis, you only want one of those. He blows right by him for the apple. Oh, the fridge. It's make or break time, JB. He stares down some rich-looking treats. Uh-oh. Looks like he's headed for the soda. Wait, he jukes left, grabs the water bottle, and shuts the door with his elbow in record time. Unbelievable move. I gotta see that again. And he's out. He even turned off the light. That's the way you execute a midnight snack run. Stand up to cancer and rally want you to reduce your risk for cancer. Go to takeahealthystand.org. 
Hi, this is jockey Brian Hernandez. For me, there's no bigger thrill than crossing the finish line in front, and nobody captures the excitement of our sport like Horse Racing Radio Network. Each week, HRRN brings you exclusive talk shows, podcasts, and in-depth conversations with the biggest names in racing, jockeys, trainers, owners, and more. Plus, HRRN is committed to helping disabled riders through their support of the PDJF. So climb aboard a winner today by visiting horseracingradio.net. You're listening to the First Bet Racing Show on the Horse Racing Radio Network. It's been all Copian in the Santa Inez. Three-length lead turning for home. Don't bring crazy is second, followed by Tambo. They're coming to the eighth pole, and it's a hand ride and an absolute show for Copian, a filly of much promise. Five-length lead with a 16th to go. Never asked for anything. The future is bright. For Copian, a perfect two for two. Wins by six. Don't bring crazy, Tembo, and bossy Bruin Gal. Running time, 123.39 seconds. That was Frank Miramati this past Sunday in the call of the grade three Santa, Santa Inez, rather, at Santa Anita. Won by the heavy favorite, Copian, who is now two for two in her career. She won by almost six lengths. And uh, looks like she is on her way to heading towards that road toward the Kentucky Oaks. Welcome back to the First Bet Racing Show here on HRRN. Bobby Newman, Bob Nistanovich. Uh, we owe you some prices from out at Fairgrounds. Eighth race on their card was won by the big favorite, number three, First Love, four-year-old chestnut filly by Cantheros out of the Medallia Doro mare, Ardoro, owned by Maggie Moss, trained by Tom Amos, Yoel Navas, the winning rider. First Love paid 280 to win, <clears throat> 220 to place, 210 to show. Uh, Mrs. Speaker for the uh, Hartman Barn picked up second, a well-beaten second, three dollars to place, two forty to show, and way, way back was request for for a proposal. Past tired ones, as they say, paid two eighty to show. The one dollar exacto three five, three dollars and eighty cents. The fifty cent trifecta three five nine, seven twenty, and the ten cent super three five nine ten, six dollars and eighty one cents. All right, they're in the paddock. They're about a dozen minutes to post for the ninth race at Fairgrounds, so we've got a little time before we get out there. Uh, all right, Bob, so uh, we were talking a little bit about what's going on with this Baffert situation and Churchill Downs, which theoretically is through 2024, but that's until Churchill Downs makes an announcement that he's not allowed there in 2025 or whatever, and I'm just pontificating. I don't have any inside information on that, but theoretically they could just do that. Uh, they've already proven that, uh, and this this stems from a lot of things, but mainly from uh, the fact that, you know, Medina Spirit uh, was disqualified from the Derby for having a substance uh, item that he's not allowed to have, and all the litigation, and uh, it seems like ill will that's gone on between the two, and uh, Churchill Downs is, you know, they're doing what they want to do in, in uh, you know, kind of twisting the knife here and forcing the hand and, and saying, listen, we don't want you, and that's all there is to it. And by the way, not only do we not want you, uh, but none of your horses are allowed here unless they're in the barn of somebody who is eligible by whatever date it is. And I think, I think it's February 1st, something like that. So um, for horses like Muth, who won the San Vicente, and for Nisos, who uh, certainly looks at this point like he's a – uh, a horse that could be on the Kentucky Derby Trail. Uh, we will very likely see their next races 
in somebody's barn other than Bob Baffert. And the thing that I, I don't I don't know if it's ever come out or if maybe there's been this has been asked, but nobody is is um, willing to say anything is when these horses over the last few years get transferred to, uh, let's just say, Tim Yachtin and Sean McCarthy, because those were the two that it seemed like were getting the bulk of the Baffert Derby hopefuls over the last couple of years. Um, is is this something, Does first of all, does Baffert have something to do with this? Uh, are the owners making these decisions? And is there, I mean, is there any sort of behind closed doors understanding or under the table money uh, figuring out? I mean, it, it, it is, and I don't, I'm just get. you know, I'm just throwing these out there. I have no knowledge of any of this happening. I'm just saying this is something that's interesting that came to my mind. I don't know if it's happened. You know, is there a deal being worked out where like, all right, well, uh, Tim and Sean, we're going to give you these horses, but just so you know, um, Bob is going to be deciding uh, when and how they train. Basically, he's calling the shots. Or uh, just so you know, uh, you're training these horses, um, but 25% of anything that you earn um, has to be given to Bob. Or so, you know, and maybe this because this is all you know under the table type stuff. Obviously, uh, below board. And I'm not saying it happens. I'm just saying I wonder if these were ever discussions because when you think about listen Sean McCarthy and Tim Yachtin are very qualified trainers they're not the names of Dick Mandela or Todd Pletcher or Chad Brown or Steve Asmussen or Brad Cox or even in Southern California Phil D'Amato wins a you know just a ton of races right now mainly a lot of turf ones uh, but a lot of races how about John Sadler I mean, he showed what he can do under adversity. This is a guy who a few years ago was known as, like, the best trainer who didn't win this, this, this. And now, you know, he's won a couple of Breeders' Cup Classics, and he had one of the greatest horses that we've ever seen in flight line with this, you know, completely different kind of preparation than any of us our age and younger have seen um, and came through it in flying colors and, you know, handled the media well and all that. Um, that by the way, that's where I would go. I would be... If I had Nisos, who I think is a very, very nice horse, I, I would be looking at John Sadler. I want to keep this horse in California because I just don't I, – I think it's an easier road right now, uh, staying in Southern California uh, on the road toward the Triple Crown. Um, and Nisos has proven at least in two starts that uh, the horses that are running against him aren't even close to his caliber. Uh, I don't know why – I mean – yeah, you could ship out to Oaklawn. There's a little bit more money out there and things like that. Um, but I would be staying in California. And I would be going with John Sadler because obviously he and Juan Leva and the rest of the team have shown that they can, uh, they know what to do with a good horse. But have, is that, am I way off the, way off the map on this, Bob, thinking that there could be, it, there's, there could be more to it than just, you know, coming to the conclusion that, Tim Yachtin and Sean McCarthy are the two guys? I mean, all I know, um, like I said before, that Yachtin's a former Baffert assistant. Um, I imagine they still get along very well. And to me, it very much seems like a temporary agreement. In the case of Sean McCarthy, who I who I, I know way better, um, I know that his wife is, is, um, 
has a pretty big job in the Baffert part. I'm pretty sure she's the secretary um, for uh, Bob Baffert. I'm not ex- exactly sure of her job title, but I know she she works for the for the Baffert barn in sort of a office um, organizing type role. <clears throat> so both of those trainers have good relationships with Baffert. Now, when he moves the horses to those barns, I don't know to what extent he makes calls on how they should be trained or if they sit down and and, and discuss things. Um, uh, but the main thing is that when they go to Yachtin or McCarthy, uh, it seems like it, it could very well develop into a temporary arrangement where the horses will come back, as opposed to if a horse goes to Todd Pletcher or, or Brad Cox or, uh, like you mentioned, uh, Sadler or Mandela out there, that would seem almost like a game ender, like that owner is making a you know potentially permanent uh, switch. And certainly those trainers with their credentials uh, would want it that way. I mean, <laughs> say, for example, John Sadler became the trainer of Nisos, um, and Nisos you know, what he's shown us in two starts uh, is that he's clearly one of the most talented uh, three-year-olds on on the dirt um, in the world right now. And uh, the sky's the limit for that son of Nyquist, who's, you know, from the family of Unbridled Elaine and and definitely route racing seems to be very much uh, within his compass. Uh, Very exciting horse. that they, you know, those those trainers, I think just like everybody would want to keep the horse, but if they go to Yachtin or McCarthy, I'm sure the agreement is somewhere in place, either written or at least verbal, that uh, that after the Triple Crown season's over, that, that you know, the horse would go back to Baffert um, for, you know, races like the Travers and Breeders' Cup Classic and so forth, or, or wherever the horses ended up going. Okay, so do you think there's a chance that some of these other trainers, uh, bigger-name trainers, had been contacted and maybe refused because they didn't want to be a pinch hitter, if you will, for, you know, two or three months? I just think it's a, I think it's a case where, um, you know, in this climate in which Churchill Downs will not allow Baffert to earn points or race um, in the Kentucky Derby, um, and a lot of other races, uh, you know, that these owners year after year still um, hire Baffert um, when these horses, you know, basically get ready to go to the racetrack for the first time when they're two or three. And the two we've mentioned, uh, Muth and Nisos, have established themselves and established their resumes. And, but I'm sure there's a lot of really, I mean, We've seen I mean, Prince of Monaco is another one. Uh, there, you know, there's always, and I'm sure there's a few newly turned three-year-olds in Baffert's barn that are that are extremely good that we might see in the coming weeks that could make an impact during the Triple Crown season. Um, so who knows? I just think that you know these owners they send the horses to Baffert, and I think they probably work with Baffert when it comes ta- time and they prove themselves to be potentially Kentucky Derby eligible. Then he sits down with the owner and says, hey, look, you know, like, let's give the horse to Tim uh, and see if we can make it to the Derby. And then, you know, when the smoke clears, um, which is, you know, obviously immediately after the Derby, uh, then we, you know, I mean, I'd assume that if Tim Yachtin trained the Kentucky Derby winner and it was nice this year, 
uh, that perhaps he might get the horse for the Triple Crown. I don't even know. Maybe it would immediately go back to Baffert's barn after the race. Yeah, it's an interesting, and it seems like at some point that that, that has a possibility of happening. It just hasn't happened yet. Um, but there have been nice horses that were Baffert's that were transferred to other people over the last few years that have run in the Derby. None of them has had Derby success yet, uh, but we'll see what happens this year, and uh, we're getting to that time where uh, at some point, we're going to have to see these horses uh, in somebody else's barn if they are going to pursue uh, the Kentucky Derby or the Kentucky Oaks. Uh, let's get over to the fairgrounds, Bob. Our final live race on today's program is the ninth race in New Orleans, about a mile and a 16th on the turf. Um, this one is an optional claiming starter allowance for four-year-olds and up uh, that, either fi- that either fit the starter allowance conditions or just in for a claiming tag of $30,000, scratch numbers 2, 10, and 11. Uh, first bet AI says number 8, Busy Channel, who's currently 4-1 to one on the board for Joe Sharp and Jareth Loveberry, is where you want to be, coming off a nice win against a little bit softer. Uh, in his most recent start, he was claimed away from Larry Ravelli by Joe Sharp, so it goes from uh, one good barn to another. And uh, despite the fact that he was entering his eight-year-old year, uh, he's uh, been popular at the claim box. Current favorite is actually number three, Big Dreaming, for Wayne Catalano and David Cohen. He, on the other hand, is coming out of a a tougher race at Fairgrounds in his most recent start and taking a little bit of a drop in class. No, I mean, the race evolves around Big Dreaming, and Big Dreaming's by declaration of war out of champion Dreaming of Anna. And, uh, you know, he's had a a pretty good career. I mean, he's been lightly raced, and I'm, I'm sure he's been difficult to train uh, for him to have that few starts at this juncture in his career. But he's five for 19. He's won four hundred sixty thousand, uh, four hundred sixteen thousand uh, dollars. Wayne Catalano's over twenty-one. Frank Calabrese, who, who of course, bred and owned Dreaming of Anna, and uh, same thing uh, with this horse, um, who of course is a uh, a half to the late stallion, Fast Anna. Um, you know, they're dropping in in the hopes of getting a win. I mean, this is really an incredibly tough race for the, for a $30,000 purse. I mean, you've got high tide in here. Um, another one he drops in class for, for a stable that's three to five, the Rob Atros stable, um, you know, definitely fits with his best try. You've got a horse, the seven horse tide of the sea for Tom Morley, ridden by uh, a UK rider, Ben Curtis, who's having a good meet. He was grade two placed at Belmont Park in, in May. Uh, you know, there's some horses here that are getting a little bit long in the tooth. Um, Soul Coaxing, who was 0 for 8 on the turf, kind of broke through on the grass last time. And Fly Knightley's quite a story. He won five in a row uh, before finally losing on December 30th at uh, Tampa. And he ships in, uh, and, you know, he he's one of interest. Uh, I mean, kind of by default, I mean, the AM works say that this is a very serious try for Big Dreaming. Uh, David Cohen stays aboard. Um, it's a difficult race to handicap, but a very intriguing race. And, uh, you know, at that price, it's it's hard to jump in and take, take a, a Big Dreaming. Uh, but I think there'll be plenty of pace on in here. I think it'll be difficult to, uh, for Soul Coaxing to back up that win. Uh, and, um, you know, I mean, Tide of the Sea... Who, I mean, it's just it's just a very very complicated set of circumstances. This race, you've got some classy horses dropping in for a small price, and it looks like one of those cases where 
you know, these horses are now getting, a lot of them are getting to be seven, eight years old. And, uh, you know, they're, they're basically in search of a win. And, you know, you've got a pretty frustrated stable and I'm sure a very frustrated uh, owner, as is his want. And Frank Calabrese is getting a little bit impatient and seems to be aggressively spotting a big dreaming in a similar fashion to uh, Maggie Moss in the uh, last race. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you'd kind of have to take uh, big dreaming at that price. All right, Big Dreaming uh, loading into the starting gate now as this field for the ninth race at Fairgrounds is uh, about halfway in. We've got three, now two more left to load. Waiting on the five, Soul Coaxing with Marcelino Pedroza Jr. He's moving forward toward the outside fly nightly with James Graham in the irons to complete the line, and they'll be set for the ninth race on the card from Fairgrounds. Ready? They're off. Busy channel, tied to the sea. Soul Coaxing has those red blinkers. Big Dreaming and Firewater Drake as they line up here through the first furlong. And it's Busy Channel and Tide of the Sea, the two who now kick on with it, heading toward the first turn. Big Dreaming and that Calabrese Black Cap running in third. Soul Coaxing fourth. Firewater Jake in fifth. Fly Knightley is sixth. High Tide in seventh. And Vital has dropped back to last now with Ben Curtis. <coughs> tide of the Sea leads out. It's Tide of the Sea as the eight-year-old gray Busy Channel stays right there near with Tide of the Sea as they go to the back of the course. David Cohen and Big Dreaming galloping along in third. Then it's a break of two and a half to Soul Coaxing next in fourth, making this backstretch run. Firewater Jake with high tide racing out deep on the course. Fly Knightley and Vital remains last. 23.45 for the lead part. It's the son of English Channel. Tide of the Sea who takes Busy Channel to a half mile from home. Tide of the Sea, Busy Channel and Big Dreaming. There's been no twist in the plot. Still these three. Soul Coaxing comes up the rail. Firewater Jake in the gold with a blue cap. High tide. Fly Knightley and Vital remains a long looking last. It's still tied to the sea. Half mile 48.59 seconds for Ben Curtis. Tide of the sea looking to make every yard as Jareth Lubberry sends Busy Channel up alongside. Busy Channel has taken a short lead. Tide of the sea. Right there, Big Dreaming and High Tide Circles. Soul Coaxing is right there too. Firewater Jake toward the inside on these are well clear. Three quarters, one minute 13.92 seconds. Big Dreaming's in for a battle. It's Big Dreaming with Busy Channel. Soul Coaxing on the outside. High Tide. Firewater Jake that rally with the rail. They come inside the final 16th. Still a few chances. High Tide. Big Dreaming toward the inside. Firewater Jake, along with Soul Coaxing. It's high tide in Jaime Torres. High tide on top. Second close. Big Dreaming with Firewater Jake, Soul Coaxing. A busy channel was after that. High tide has won it. Good driving finish there in the ninth race at Fairgrounds. Number four, high tide. Jamie Torres aboard getting the job done. Pretty close for, close for the minors between numbers one and three, but it was number four, high tide getting the job done at 6-1. to one. Yeah, so we're set a very frustrating 2023 um, third start for uh, Rob Atris, who's uh, uh, basically a new visitor to the fairgrounds. He likes it down there. His horse is like a two. He's now four for six. This is a seven-time winner, a son of Malibu Moon, newly turned uh, seven-year-old who had a great 2022. He won three races and $133,000 and really kind of proved his mettle is a very consistent uh, and tough turf horse at Aqueduct, Belmont, and Saratoga. Shows up down there for the first time, the first time he's ever raced outside of New York, and uh, gets the job done in a, in a very competitive uh, ninth race uh, for a $30,000 uh, purse. And a uh, good ride by Jaime Torres and other guys having a really good meet down there.
All right, want to remind everybody, coming up next will be our call-in show. It starts about five, six minutes from now. The number to get in, 888-966-4776, 888-966-HRRN. And like last Thursday, Bob, and in fact, all of the call-in shows coming up this week, everyone who calls in will get a free 2024 racing calendar, uh, whether you have a, a a good question or not, uh, if you just want the calendar, give your name and mailing address to our producer, Lee Delapina, and he will make sure to get it to the right people, and we will get you a fantastic racing calendar for 2024 just for calling in and uh, giving us your opinion or asking a question or whatever you'd like on tonight's show or any of the January shows on these call-in shows. They're always on uh, Thursdays from 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern time. Bob Nastanovich actually going to sub in for James Scully once again tonight and uh, would love your input, HRRN Nation. Certainly, we'd like to hear about whatever you would like to discuss, whether it's upcoming races, whether it's uh, horses, you know, three-year-olds that are looking good or maybe not looking so good on the Oaks and Derby Trail, uh, some of the big news that's happened over the last week in racing. Of course, we've got the Pegasus coming up in a few weeks. We've got uh, the, the Saudi Cup coming up in February. Lots of interesting stuff. And listen, we want to know what you think is going to happen with Bob Baffert and Churchill Downs. First of all, where are these horses going to go, these good three-year-olds in 2024? And will next year be any different? Will Churchill Downs eventually allow Bob Baffert back on property and back able uh, to you know, ply his trade at the CDI tracks? Or will they give us another one of these year banishments later on in the year? They're, they're, they're privileged to do whatever they want. Privilege is the wrong word, but what I mean, it, it's, it's their, uh, their prerogative. They're obviously allowed to do it's private property. They can uh, decide to include or exclude anyone you'd like. they'd like. Uh, we would love to hear from you. Uh, that's going to wrap it up on the First Bet Racing Show. By the way, uh, uh, now officially 4135 in the ninth race at Fairgrounds. For our producer, Lee Delapino, my co-host, Bob Mistanovich, I'm Bobby Newman. Thanks for so- joining us this afternoon. Stick around. The call-in show is coming up next. Phone lines are open, 888-966-4776.